Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid with faculty on their time as a student. These are the conversations that profs and students should have, but can't. Exploring the intersecting needs of students, faculty, the education system, and the job market as a whole. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. My guest today is Carolyn Ross. Carolyn is a photographer in Vancouver, BC. Originally from Ontario, she spent a few years working in the Caribbean before moving to Vancouver. She studied her BFA at Laurentian University, and after graduating, worked as a graphic designer and creative director before delving into photography full-time. She now teaches in the GD and photo department at various post-secondary institutes in Vancouver, BC. Carolyn is also an award-winning photographer, and she also happens to be my cousin. So thank you, Carolyn, for joining us today. It's great to hear from you. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. And it's so nice to chat with you again. So actually, I should acknowledge this. My very first design job, my very first graphic design job, um, Carolyn basically set that up for me. She was leaving the position and I was looking for a position and she called me and she said, hey, um, you need to apply. I'll put in a good word for you. And so, you know, that was my first full time nine to five. Um, And it is thanks to you. So thank you. Well, it was all you because to be honest, at the interview, Eric really stood out. Like you were the most professional, you had the best portfolio, you were the most creative. And like, it wasn't, it wasn't a decision. It was, this is your next employee when you came to the interview. You drove five hours for it too, eh? I did. So um, I mentioned Carolyn was my cousin. My extended family is from Sudbury and, and mostly they live in Sudbury. Um, I think, I think, I guess, Carolyn, we have family, you, you have you in Vancouver, and then there's our cousin Pete in Nova Scotia or New Brunswick. I just say East. East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> I forget where, but yeah. Yeah, so I drove all the way to um, Sudbury for that first job, and it was, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. And that's, where I, that's how I started working as a professional designer. It's, it's, it's funny that nepotism is the, uh, the start of this podcast. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, as you said, it was because I was uber qualified and capable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it was, uh, I, was, I wasn't the person hiring, but I was involved in the interviews because I was the only person at that position who was a graphic designer. So I was able to speak the language and see if the candidates were qualified or not. And um, I didn't want to push you because I was afraid of being accused of nepotism and you were my cousin and I didn't want them to think that I was pushing you as a right. candidate. However, the person that they were looking at hiring, I don't, I don't think they even like were a graphic designer. Well, thank you. I, I mean, you know what, though, this is quickly becoming my story. And this is intended to be about your story of building a career as a, as a freelance photographer. Oh, it's um, our story, Eric. Yeah, it's our story. Yeah. So, okay. So actually, well, you kind of touched on it. You said you'll talk about it later. And that is, you know, your, your journey to you know, being this amazing, one of the best photographers in, in the country, basically. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in Sudbury, Ontario, with the, at Laurentian University, with the intention of becoming a uh, fine artist who had their works displayed and sold in art galleries across the country and the world. Um, however, that quickly turned to be a dream of a museum or um, art gallery curator. And while I was in school for fine art, I also had a few digital art classes and I was really interested in digital art. And I realized that it would just be a few extra classes per term in order to get my digital art diploma in the same amount of time that I had my um, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. So I went on that course to get those few extra classes for the four years that I was in school. And then, ironically, uh, my last class, business class, I got a uh, job offer or sorry, I applied for a job halfway through, I got the job. So I quit my business class and I didn't end up getting my uh, degree, diploma. I still got my degree, but my diploma went one last class and I didn't get that degree diploma. And I thought of like going back to ask for it because now I teach business at post-secondary schools. And I think that I've been pretty successful with my own business. So I was wondering if I can just like take the class and get it or something. So, um, oh, hold on. You're saying you're, you're like one credit away from graduating? Well, I have my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from the university, but I'm one credit away from my um, digital art diploma at the college. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it's five years for, to, to finish it, but you should look into yeah. it. 
It's been like 13, so. <laughs> okay, so then what? Then I saw the position I got uh, that I quit school for, well, I, I shouldn't say quit school, that I didn't complete for was a museum curator position internship for one year at the police station in Sudbury, Ontario. And uh, after that one year was up, uh, the police station really liked me. And so they had a position as a graphic designer for me. However, it wasn't available for a few months. I think that it was like, I don't know how it works in budgets and stuff, but I think that's when they were able to create the position. So they put me in Fleet for a few months, which was really interesting. Have you worked in Fleet at the station? I did not work in Fleet. Tell us what that is. Okay, well, you take care of the uh, police vehicles. And then I would also like drive the car, like the undercover cars. So I would like drive for three and a half, four hours into the middle of nowhere. And then someone would like give me another car that we would swap and then I'd bring back to the station. Wild. That was like the most exciting part. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and so then I started as graphic designer and then eventually that position kind of turned into creative director, which is where- what, what, How did you just, like it seemed like a jump, like fleet graphic designer. Oh yeah, so when I was working in the museum, I did a lot of graphic design work because they didn't have really a visual presence online. Yeah, when I was- So you were fleet and then you were museum and then you were graphic design. No, museum first. Okay. And so then I uh, did some graphic design work and I digitalized a lot of their collection and uh, helped them create an online presence. I don't know if they needed like a full-on graphic designer at the time, but they needed someone to take care of their visuals and help with that online presence and website photography, as well as uh, different design projects like the uh, police cars, which was a project that I worked on while I was there. And uh, yeah, during that time, it evolved into a lot of photography as well, which I was doing on the side. Um, my first wedding that I ever photographed was your sister's actually. And I bought my camera the day before her wedding. <laughs> I did not know that. I had like a little uh, point and shoot, like a, it was like the G10, Canon G10. It was a, a yeah. nice point and shoot, but yeah. So the day before I went to like a secondhand camera store and bought a Canon Rebel. And oh. that's, maybe it was a Canon 40D. I can't remember. I might have had one or bored one. Anyways, I ended up having two cameras because I wanted to have a backup for the wedding in case one wasn't working. And yeah, then your sister paid me, I think, $500. And that was the start of my wedding career. Oh, she got a bargain. Yeah, oh, that's nice. I never shot a wedding before, so it was, <laughs> I feel like it was fairly. We you wouldn't charge $500 today. <laughs> I would for family. <laughs> no. Yeah. Awesome. So that was the start of that. Okay, so um, were weddings, were, was that your primary, um, you were able to do enough weddings to quit your full-time job, is that correct? Yeah, so I was kind of burning the candle on both ends for a year or two, because I was um, a weekend warrior with weddings, so just working like many weekends in the year, maybe like probably from June till September, almost every weekend was booked with weddings, and then I'd be working Monday to Friday at the police station, and so I was having some mental health issues. <laughs> Um, it was my first time that I had really been, like, I was busy during university, but I feel like that was, it wasn't the same stress as busy with your small part-time job as well as your full-time job. Like, it's a different kind of stress when you come out of university and are working on your career. My therapist recommended take Friday off, so I started by taking Fridays off. And then I was also dating uh, a really wonderful man who was my current partner at the time, and he was working in Argentina. And he convinced me to move to the Caribbean with him. So surprisingly, it was like a hard decision for me. I don't know why, but I just really liked Ontario, my family. And so I, I quit my job that I really liked as a creative director at the police station. And I started to do photography full time in the Caribbean and Ontario. So you're, you have a small business, you're running it in Ontario, and then you move business to the Caribbean. Um, how do you get clients in a whole other country? Well, let me tell you about SEO back in uh, 2006 okay. <laughs> in the Caribbean. It was really easy. So I had traveled there a few times with my partner because we wanted to make sure that we liked the island. And uh, I did a few blog posts on it. So I made sure to really use the keywords like wedding photographer, Canadian, St. Martin, mm -hmm. Caribbean, and like all those words in those few blog posts that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was that as well as a combination of friends and family um, and acquaintances, like not really a family, but like friends and friends, acquaintances, my network in Ontario that were going to get married somewhere in a destination. And so like I would 
I would be, um, I would frequently be in Jamaica for weddings and Mexico for weddings and Anguilla and stuff like that. So it wasn't just St. Martin that I was shooting. Um, and it was a lot cheaper to bring me over for like two days or three days to shoot the wedding than to bring a photographer from Ontario. Of course, right. Yeah. So eventually the SEO ball just kept rolling with those weddings that I would blog and I would really try and make the best out of them. Like I would try and get two blogs out of a wedding and stuff. Okay. So, um, yeah, it sounds like, like in a way your unique, your unique selling thing, like you could really bring more value because you were close to the, close to the wedding and familiar with the area. Yeah, absolutely. And I would know the areas to shoot in and stuff. And I think that also having a different style than locals helped um, and being in the right price point. So if I charge the same amount as a photographer from Ontario that they would have to fly in and pay for their week at the resort, then right. they might as well just hire me. Right. Right. You, you, could even, you could even charge more. As long as you don't charge more than the plane ticket, you're still cheaper. Exactly. As long as right. your service is higher too. So. What did you did you have a second while you were out there? Did you shoot the whole thing yourself? I've always shot myself. Like probably eighty percent of weddings I shoot are by myself as a single shooter, and if the client hires or like the there's an option in my packages for the client to hire a second shooter for certain events, and yeah. sometimes they do. But um, generally, I'm just a single shooter. I've just wow. worked really well that way. Yeah, I I don't like working in groups either. <laughs> You know, I did you ever shoot? Value, but did you ever second shoot? Only once, yeah. It was uh, it was out by yeah. somewhere on Lake Ramsey. Um, it was very last minute. I don't remember what yeah. it was, but um, I basically just got in your way. Yeah, you know what? I hardly use any photos from the second shooter unless it's an event that I can't cover. So if it's like something that I can't be at because I'm doing something else, I'll use their photos. But like probably 99% of my second shooter photos I don't use. It's just like for the presence for the bride and as a backup. In case yeah. something I don't get, which I, I never don't get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, you gave me a lot of direction. And I think it was because um, you, like, it was, a, it was a strange space. It was a very tight space. Um, mm -hmm. And there was, it was like a circular room, 50 feet across. And there was a, a, a balcony above that wrapped around it. And oh, yeah. you were in like a crowd, like the bride and groom were in like a crowd. It was very strange. And you had me basically up higher shooting down and just doing wide coverage. Because there was no way you could have done both. Yeah, I remember that actually. I, I think I did use your photos, which is ironic because you weren't a photographer. Like you, it was a yeah. hobby for you, right, at the time. So it was. Yeah. But like I said, it was just you, you couldn't be in two places at once. I think that, anyways. You mentioned SEO in two thousand six. What's different today about growing your photography business? Well, I think that the SEO in two thousand six was specifically to the Caribbean as well, because there was no photographers doing marketing down there. Um, not, I mean, there was a few, but they weren't doing it like aggressively and stuff. So I would just blog like my daily life and stuff as well. And uh, different places, different food I had, which really helped. Um, but yeah, I think that the locals would mostly get their local weddings off of word of mouth. So they mm. weren't really relying on destination weddings unless they were working with a wedding planning company on the island. Um, they weren't, they weren't worried about SEO for destination weddings. So it was a market I was able to just zoom in and scoop up. Um, and most of my clients were um, Canadians as well. Like I had a lot of people from Toronto and a lot of people outside my network that I didn't know. Like it wasn't just family and friends hiring me there. It was a lot of strangers. Right. I don't think I did any local weddings, actually. Like none of my clients were from St. Martin. And the people who did find you were just Googling photographer, Caribbean. Yep. And today, I guess that, that, that definitely still applies, but there's social media Absolutely. When you move to an oversaturated market, like I did in Vancouver, it's really difficult to do the natural SEO on your own. You, you most definitely have to hire a marketing company, which is a mistake I made moving there because I think that I should have hired a marketing company. I underestimated how easy it was in my previous markets like Sudbury in the Caribbean to get those clients through SEO and um, Google searches. Yeah, I, that was something that was a mistake I made was not hiring someone to help me with marketing. And so what does that look like in, in practice? Like you, who, who do you call? What do they do? <laughs> Probably a marketing company. Like, a, yeah, I, I did. I did go to some SEO classes and I went to some classes on Google AdWords and stuff. And I am doing OK for my SEO. But however, um, yeah, I know some friends. I'm going to shout out to their business name. It's uh, Yelger and Tanya Photography. 
and they did amazing. They hired someone to help them with their uh, marketing like seven years ago when I first met them and they don't have them anymore, but it really helped them with their um, Google searches because now they're top for Vancouver wedding photographer. Man, that's so important. Yeah. And then again, if you do it today, it's even a harder market than say seven years ago when I first moved to Vancouver. Yeah. Also, I'm could... getting my time. I'm getting my timelines mixed up. So if someone hears me say I moved to the Caribbean seven years ago, it was actually more like nine years ago. Yeah. I just keep thinking, like forgetting how long ago it was I was there. So. And the fact that the last two years kind of didn't happen. I know, right? I feel like we just skipped through these past two years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what happened to your photography practice in in COVID? Yeah, I. I... I've been doing uh, Ontario weddings. So probably half my weddings come from Ontario and half of them from Vancouver. Previously, like even when I was living in Vancouver, I would still fly maybe um, five, six times a year to Ontario, stay for two weeks each time, shoot a few weddings and then come back. At some point you decided you want to move from from wedding into fashion and, and other things. Yeah. So before the pandemic, I was kind of doing an equal amount of both of them. And then when the pandemic hit and a lot of weddings weren't happening, but online sales were through the roof for a lot of companies and they needed to have that uh, visual representation of all their stuff that they previously didn't have. So I started to work um, a bit more in e-commerce photography and I've really enjoyed it the past two years. So how do you, I mean, are, are you renting a studio or are you doing shots outside? Are you, how do you get clients? You know, I was thinking of renting a studio, like permanently. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who has his own studio and he actually charges on the invoice for a studio rental every time he does it. And I was like, if this is common in commercial photography to put a studio rental charge on the invoice, even when you own or like it's your own studio, then maybe I'll just be doing it for clients. So now I, I do rent out studios for a lot of clients. Um, my repeat clients, I often go on location. So last year I was going twice a week to a clothing store to shoot their products. Um, it was a secondhand clothing store as well. So there was many products, like um, a lot of products I was shooting every time I went. So it didn't make sense to bring all of those products to a studio. So I would go there, set up my studio, and then tear it down after every shoot. And what, what, like, what did you bring a lot of equipment? Yep. So I, uh, I left my background there. So I had a background set up, um, backdrop, like drops and paper and stuff. And then I would bring my amazing strobes with me every time they're battery powered. And I have a giant six foot umbrella. So I set up my huge umbrellas, which are really easy to set up because you just like, it's just like a normal umbrella. And then I just put my two strobes on a, um, um, light stand and that's basically my setup. So I take it you've switched to LED? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> do you have bulbs? Like, do you have to change Yeah, the yeah, they're bulbs. Yeah, they're bulbs. Oh, wow. And they're battery powered. Jeez. Yeah, they're awesome. Yep, they oh, wow. last. You know, I was, have you heard of the Pro Photo Lights? I think so. Okay, it's yeah. one of the most expensive ones on the market. They're like $3,000 each, if not more, per light. I found um, when I first started doing commercial photography, and I also use them in weddings about three, four years ago, I Four years ago, I purchased my first lights. They were like the cheapest lights I can find. I think I got it for $420 US and I had to drive to the border to pick it up. Wow. And they've lasted me ever since. Like they're absolutely amazing. I think that's the brand. There's these, there's these couple of dudes on YouTube called F Stoppers. And I think that's the brand they're oh. always pushing. Yeah, sorry. So the, the Pro Photo is not the ones I got because they were too expensive. I found like a cheap brand for 400 called. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Adorama. Adorama. Oh, I, I, I see that brand all. I think mine might even be Adorama. I, I got, I, I do, I, I do a little bit. Nothing like what um, Carolyn does, but um, food photography for like Uber people's um, restaurants, Uber things, and I just grabbed a set of lights off Kijiji for. Oh, 65. do you know what kind they are? I think they're Adorama. They're, they're very, very cheap. Um, they're, are they battery powered or do you? Uh, they're plug-in, plug so they're clunky. They're, they're big, like the, everything's a pain. But uh, I think the point I'm just trying to make is you could spend $2,000, you could spend $200, you could spend $20, and there is options. Absolutely, yeah. There's some photographers, um, a lot. some photographers I see ha have been doing portraits and weddings and they're making the transition to product photography. And they just shoot at home by their window. Their stuff is really good. Oh man. Like, you, you could just could use a window. Just, yeah, natural diffused light. It's so easy, right? Yes. Yeah. 
the thing is, though, sometimes you get you get a client who wants a specific look. So there's something I call the sexy food look. It's dark, a lot of shadow. The background fades to infinity black. Um, oh, right. You know, there's kind of like one spotlight on the food. It's moody. It's almost like a, what's what do you call the? It starts with a B, and it's like kind of like a, a lingerie photo. Boudoir food. <laughs> and and like you know, you, I don't know if you could do that without a lighting kit. Maybe you could. Oh yeah, definitely. So if you started your own personal style that is like natural light look, then I think you can continue doing that. But yeah, if you ha- if you want to have like diverse clients, you definitely need a setup. All right, so um, we got a little. I, I derailed you a little bit. So so SEO and and word of mouth got you a lot of wedding clients, and it got you a lot of it got you a certain amount of fashion and uh, clients. Did you grow that any other way? Like, did you did you ever walk into like a little boutique and say, "Hey, I'm I'm Carolyn Ross. I'm a photographer. I'll take fashion photos for you." You know, I didn't, but that's something that I use uh, as advice for my current students. So, yeah, when I first started, um, well, I think there's first of all, there's two different ways of getting clients. The first was through your friends and family and networking. Um, well, I guess we can separate that into two different parts, like networking and friends and family. So friends and family are an amazing network. And if you're lucky to live in your hometown with that huge network that you have, it really helps your business. I don't know about you, but we get a lot of students who move to the city to study. So they have no network in that city and um, they have to start their own networking. So I do recommend stuff like meetups and um, even just having hobbies is a really great way of networking because like so many students are so focused on school that they don't do anything outside of school and it's so, so important to build that network on your own if you don't have friends and family to help you out or marketing you can hire someone for marketing so that's like the third way to build that a client base so what was the question eric i forgot Me oh too. yeah boutiques, boutiques. i think that walking into boutique and trying to um work with them for photography is a great idea and what's not being talked about enough is phone photography because so many of these businesses just need a teeny tiny photo um, and they need someone who knows posing lighting uh what looks good on people like just just general aesthetics for a photograph and then they post that on instagram like we don't need to do a two-hour shoot for one photo that's going to be buried in a week when you get hired to take photos where is the client putting them and what are they for most of the time it's it's um, social media like well no I shouldn't say that I do I offer like a um, a half an hour iPhone photography session um, it has to be within a few blocks of my house so I don't want to travel too much and I yeah. do like I have a few clients a month who hire me for this and then I I airdrop them the photos at the end of the session or sometimes I just use their phone to do it um, those ones are usually uh, social media influencers and content creators. Um, and those are just on Instagram, but some other clients I have, like I've been working with Threads of Apollo, which is a leather jacket company. Um, ironic since I'm vegan, but they have great ethics. <laughs> Anyways, they they need the photos for their website and for e-commerce. And so for those, obviously I, I shoot with my DSLR. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that iPhones or phone photography is going to be the future for a lot of people. And it's important to have that like you can go to school for three years for photography and make a really great living off your iPhone. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you say that because I mean I think the professional industry most people see the quality of phone cameras as a threat, but here's Carolyn saying no, this is an opportunity. Yeah, like I don't think that the photography industry will be threatened by amateurs. Like someone just because you have a phone doesn't mean you're a photographer. It's like a a doctor's knife. Like a doctor can do their job with any knife, right? It's not the knife that makes a doctor good. It's his knowledge and stuff. Of, I'm not yeah, a doctor, cool. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I read you. I, I Actually, right now at, at Humber in AdGraph, we do have a photography course. And it was a bit of a thing because normally we loan cameras to students, but no one's on campus. So the instructor decided, I'm going to teach it with phones. And everyone will download an app to use their phone to get the most out of their cell phone. It was kind of like, oh, should we be doing this? But actually, I think we should. <laughs> yeah, I, I taught a few. Um, I'm still teaching one right now for the past like few years for the iPhones since the pandemic. And it's been, um, I don't know. I feel like it, it's, it's not fair to some students who maybe saved that elective for their last class. And now mm-hmm. they can't use the cameras and they were really excited. But also for some students, I do think it is a benefit to learn how to use your phone as much yeah. as you can. Yeah, and, and, and so as not to, you know, throw this instructor under the bus, if you have a DSLR, you're welcome to use it in his course. He's just, mm-hmm. it's more like, 
if you want to use your phone, go for it. It's, it's yeah, great. and it's, it's really hard for the instructor, too, to help someone out when you can't touch their camera, like, virtually. Like, they hold oh, yeah. their camera up to the screen, and I'm like, okay, that button there. And it's just, it makes it a lot more difficult than, oh, yeah, using phones and stuff. So do you, do you recommend a specific camera for your courses, or do people just have what they have? For recommendations okay. for a camera, I don't have a specific model or brand, but I do recommend mirrorless. If you're going to be purchasing a camera today in 2021, go mirrorless. That way you can get set up with the system and the lenses and stuff. Yeah, you know, I, that was going to be my next question because I do get asked that a lot. What kind of camera should I buy to get started? Yeah, I feel like some students just aren't doing their own work and they expect you to do all the work for them. And then you're responsible if they don't like their camera. So I, I try to yeah. avoid that question by having them bring me cameras that they're looking at instead of me just picking a model for them. It's so hard right now because there's so many different lines within the mirrorless system. So like Canon has their own mirrorless. I think there's like a few different mirrorless ones and then some mirrorless lenses work and then some don't. And it's just, it's a bit confusing. So I never want to like recommend a certain camera in case someone's like, oh, I wish I didn't buy that. But I love Canon. Um, I also yeah. love Sony. Sony and Canon are my top. I guess like if giving a, a criteria like mirrorless, a good range of lenses, I like a decent so because I'm an amateur and I fall back on high ISO when I can't light a scene properly. Okay, Eric, you're not amateur. I'm on your website right now. Your photos yeah. are amazing. Oh, These thank are fantastic. You. <laughs> thank you. But you get the idea. Right? I usually say like, make sure you can get a cheap, make sure you can get a cheap telly and a cheap wide and a cheap prime. And, you know, um, those are usually what I, what I say without naming a brand, but I, I like Fuji. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard to... It's hard for the lenses too, just cause like, I don't know, I'm, I'm moving to mirrorless eventually and I, I have to buy all new lenses now. So yeah, it's a, it sucks. But you know what though, like with like Sony, Canon, Fuji, like you're not going to be like, oh, this lens is off. Like they're going to be good. Mm -hmm. The reason I like Fuji is just because I like, I don't like anything buried in a menu and on mine, all of the buttons are buttons. So I never have to use the screen. Oh, nice. And that's just cause I'm curmudgeonly. <laughs> Do you do you ever mess around with um, using like old glass vintage lenses? Yeah, so you uh, you know my dad. <laughs> he used to always. I'm sure like most dads in the 90s and 80s, and they all had cameras, right? So my dad gave me his old Nikon, and I use that. It's a film camera. Yeah. How about you? I buy um, like for example, I bought a a Pentax lens for forty dollars. It's f one point six. It's 55 mil, which on a crop frame works out to about 70. Okay. And so a lens that fast and that clear for taking like food photography, that's not moving around, you know, there's no auto features on it. But I mean, like, you know, the pizza's not going to run away. It's going to be on the plate. <laughs> um, it's just such a cheap way to get, to get into that market. Um, you know, $40 and you have, the, the photo quality is up there with a thousand dollar um fully automatic brand new fuji lens so okay cool so you're putting that on your um your uh mirrorless camera right that exactly. this lens is made for is like really it's, vintage it's and a 40 year old lens it's 40 year old wow. pentax lens but it's super fast it's crazy clear crazy sharp um it's just not automatic um you know what for like still life i think that that's such a good idea yeah, I would like like to do what you do, like a wedding could be like constantly trying to focus and change your f-stop like you'd be you couldn't you just couldn't do it. No, you couldn't deliver. No, but um, for anyone getting started, it's a really low, low cost way. Yeah, I think it's a great, great idea. Um, some students uh, like don't always have the knowledge of like some of them are so new mm. that they um, they don't even know how to not use automatic. <laughs> Yeah, which is like, what's the, what's, oh, well, I guess, although an argument could be made that you're not learning to work the camera, you're learning to frame and compose, yeah. and, you know. I think that I the know. more knowledge you have and the further you get along in your career, the more, the less expensive equipment you need, need to do your job properly, like phones and uh, $40 lenses. Mm -hmm. What about yeah. those, have you ever used those, like their lenses that clip onto your phone? I think that like with the brand new cameras and stuff, I don't know if we need them, but maybe like three, four years ago, they would have been really handy because they probably transformed that phone three, four years ago into like what we have now. 
because you have three lenses. I mean, yeah, man, exactly. Oh God, the, the dynamic range on these phone cameras, like it's impressive. It's amazing. And the, the, all the different options and stuff. So many people don't even know they have like all these options, which is funny. <laughs> have you ever done agency or studio work? Okay. So by studio work, do you mean like go into studio and shoot or work for another studio? Yeah. Thanks for that disambiguation. Um, not at a photo studio, but like a design studio or a, yeah. No, I haven't. So I think that one of the advice I always give my students is to make sure you have a second part-time job as you build your photography career. And I think that for me, for my commercial work, I my second part-time job was weddings. And I've had that like to help me make income while I was building my commercial business. And so I think that I didn't have to go to an agency or uh, another studio to work for them. And I think that was an, that was something that, yeah, I don't know what I was saying about that, but <laughs> I have not, I, I have tried to get agents in the past, but I don't think my portfolio was where the place was at the place that I needed it to be to get an agent. And now I have so much work that I don't know if I would go to an agency. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's hard. Cause I, I teach, I have two different businesses like commercials and then portrait, commercial photography, portrait photography. And then I also run a um, kind of photography awards program. So I, I find it's just, I, I don't know, an agent might help with some of the emails and stuff that I have from my clients, but I don't know if I. It sounds like you're too busy right to do it. I know. And then they take like 20% of what you make and stuff too. So. Right. And that yeah. seems like that, that 20% or a part of it is better invested in like getting your online presence sorted out is, is the impression I'm getting. Yeah. Or like wait until you don't have as much work and then get the agent. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, having a part-time job is such, I mean, in my experience, I, for me, it was bartending while I was getting started as a designer, you know, I was designing 20 hours a week and bartending 20 hours a week. And there's a whole lot of natural synergies there because restaurants need photographers and designers constantly. So if you can find a synergy, that's even even better. Yeah, you've you've inspired me as well, and another photographer too. Um, like to tell my to teach my students that it's important to get a part time job somehow related to what you want to do. So like, if you want to do like branding and uh, content creation, maybe pick like a small local coffee shop to work at as a barista because they can use photos and branding and stuff. Like if you work at Starbucks you're probably not going to be working for Starbucks photographer, like as a photographer or graphic designer for Starbucks, but the small local company, like you can kind of start to build a bit of that portfolio while you're doing your part-time job. Yeah. There's a ton to be learned there. I worked at Starbucks and I used to do the chalk menu boards and I guess they were good and people would take pictures of them. And when I applied to college, I had one of those in my college portfolio application. So but <laughs> you proved me yeah, wrong no. with Starbucks. <laughs> Yo, uh, you're not a, you're not a fan. No, no, I just, I just said that, like, don't work at Starbucks if you want to do that. <laughs> then you're like, it's working. Oh, yeah, yeah, Starbucks is not going to help you realize your goals. Probably not, yeah. So we talked about how you find clients, and that might be just word of mouth. It might be through marketing. They might come to you. Um, and you suggested that maybe sometimes it's good for students to just go to a business and say, hey, do you need, do you need this? Or if you already work for a business, you could say, say hey, do you need this? What are you finding draws people to one business or another? Like, is it the, the politics of a company or their background? I think it's important to know the politics and the background of a company before applying, which I think that some people do do to a certain extent. Like, it's, it's good to go into the company knowing the history in your interview, and you can kind of throw out that little tidbit because right. it, it's surprising how many people don't know or even, like, spell the company wrong or pronounce it wrong or something. Oh, goodness. Yeah. What, what is really interesting about marketing right now, we have like three different generations online. We have Gen Z, millennials, and boomers. And all these different companies are marketing differently to different clientele in those generations. And when you're marketing towards Gen Z audience, uh, a lot of your ads and social media is going to be really genuine. It's not going to be the fake millennial marketing that we're used to, like those perfect polished photos and posts and everything's like inspirational and wonderful and beautiful. And I think that when you apply to a company, it's really important to know who their clients are, who the owners of the company are, and what kind of content that you'll be generating as a graphic designer and photographer. Yeah, because you, you have the owners in the company and you also have their clients, like who your um, base is that you're designing for. It's weird, like the, the photographic style or the design style 
results in an expression of company values in a certain way. And if you can't get on board with those, you may not be able to produce the creative that they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Like it's up to you as a, as a creator to um, share in a creative way the brand story that hasn't been shared before, but also in a way that reflects previous brand stories. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. There's this new TikTok going around by one of the Dragon's Den. Um, are you on TikTok, Eric? I am not on any social media. Oh, you know, I just stopped Facebook and social media this week. Facebook and Instagram this week. I'll go back. Oh, really? Yeah, I just need like a break because I'm starting a new school. Like I'm starting a new term next week and then I'm finishing up a term and then I have my um, awards company that's starting up and I just like, I was wasting so much time on social media. So now I only waste like six hours a day on TikTok and then I'm able to get my work done. Were you worried about your professional presence when you left social? Well, I just took a break. So right now I have like multiple socials and I just took a break from my main one because I found I was just like watching my friends' stories too much and like taking in too much content and just like wasting time on there and it wasn't useful to me. So my other accounts, I just post. But the okay. main one where I was like even creating content for Instagram, I just feel so weird doing it and I just decided I don't want to. So um, yeah, I'm just on TikTok more, creating like more creative videos for TikTok, which to me is fun. Cause I wasn't like creating creative things for Instagram. I would post stuff from shoots, but I don't know if that's a creative thing to create. It feels like a treadmill sometimes. It's just like, I did a thing and now I'm going to put it and maybe it will do something. And like, I, I just, yeah. since I quit social media, I've now had like some great conversations with friends and I'm hanging out with them more in person instead of like having the odd chat on social media. So I guess compartmentalized yourself into a professional Carolyn and a personal Carolyn. Yeah, my personal Instagram was just called Caroline Ross, and it was my commercial work. Um, sorry, yeah, my personal Instagram was Caroline Ross, and it was also my commercial work, so my fashion and stuff. But I'm not getting um, like commercial clients through Instagram. So eventually, I'm going to have it running again. I'm just not going to have it on my phone, um, just because I think that having stuff off your phone is like, I'm not strong enough to do that yet. So I just need this like couple week um, break from social media until I can... I can be strong enough to have it and not check it every day. I didn't think you could operate Instagram from a, a computer. Um, well, if it, yeah. So I think I can have like my auto posting apps. Like I, I use Planoly to plan my posts. Okay. I think they can still run if I don't have Instagram on my phone. So I could have it on my iPad, not my phone and have that run that way. Right. Got it. I don't yeah. know anything. I don't, I had Instagram for maybe a couple of years and it was cool, but I kind of ran into the same thing you, you did, which is <laughs> I invested in this. I just find that I've been a lot happier. I've been, yeah, just this whole week has been great off it. So I was worried that I would fall off the radar professionally, but that didn't happen, but that could be because I was just never on the radar professionally to begin with via Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like wh why I'm going to go back on it is I think that some brands and stuff, do you hire me because I have a couple of thousand followers on Instagram and I share posts and stuff, which helps with their marketing and stuff. Okay. So I think it's good to have from that point. But yeah, I just have to get to the point where I don't check it every day. I'm retraining myself. Yeah, I, I guess this this is something that happens to entrepreneurs, which is like it's all consuming. Like like everything you do is your business and your personal and they're not they don't separate or at least you have to make mm -hmm. a concerted effort to separate them versus in-house where that is a nine to five and like it's very easy to compartmentalize like your work life what are your thoughts on the entrepreneurial versus the in-house world um with regards to like the wider lived existence of a professional photographer i don't know how many people want to be entrepreneurs anymore <laughs> and i think that because of the pandemic we might see a lot more people who are kind of a bit more nervous to get into the entrepreneurial world maybe because seeing friends family have their businesses close up during the pandemic and just understand that there's a bit more risk with that. And do you want to spend the next 40 years of your life working contracts? Or do you want to go Monday to Friday, nine to five and just have those benefits and have someone else like <laughs> tell you what to do all day? <laughs> Never have to think. Like, did you enjoy when you were working um, at the police station? Did you, there must be, no. a, a, there must have been some parts of that where you enjoy just going to work every day. No. You didn't? No, okay. I worked with awesome people who I it was great to be around, but putting on dress pants and putting on a shirt and tucking it in and getting in my truck and finding parking and sitting at a desk 
doing something that I know I could have done in my pajamas from my bed. Um, no, I hated it. I never liked it. And that's what I think about that. <laughs> what about compared to teaching? Like, do you enjoy the security that teaching offers? Um, teaching doesn't offer security when you're part-time. Um, again, okay, will... so for the next four months, <laughs> for the four months that you know you're teaching until your contract gets renewed, it's yeah, kind of nice to go in every day, right? And know that you have a job for the next four months. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. Yes, the only thing that kept me in a nine-to-five, whether it was at, not the only thing, but the, the primary drive for keeping a nine-to-five, whether it was at the police station or at the law firm, um, was that security of knowing, like, I'll be okay. Like, I, I may not be my ultimate expression of ideal, happy workplace life, but I can do this for 25 years and then put my feet up. And, you know, yeah, yeah. So working, working contract, working as a freelance designer and a contract professor, you know, you run into things. It's like, man, is it safe to have kids? Like how many teaching hours Mm -hmm. am I going to get next semester? Right now I am good, but if something happens and I don't get them and I need to feed other people, you know, will I be okay? So that's definitely, will I be okay when I'm old? Right. Will I be, will I be okay when I'm 70 if I never get full-time work? Um, that's, that's something I struggle with too. I'm like, I have to start planning for my retirement now, either through investments or something. Yep. <laughs> kids, you have kids to take care of you when you're older. It's scary. I mean, I'm I'm 35, and one of the reasons I don't have children is because I don't feel financially secure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did a TikTok about this today, but people often ask me if I want to have kids. Uh, I don't know if you get it as much, but you probably do. Women get it a lot. Um, and so I always tell people maybe in like 10 to 15 years. And then they just like look at me and they're like, how old are you? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like 35. But like, I think that just not having limits on your idea of like the future and children and stuff like that. Like, I just, if I have to adopt in 10, 15 years or foster, like if I really want to be a mom in 10 to 15 years, I can still do that. And I still have those options and not to like, yeah. Skip the diaper stage. Yeah, t- totally too. But I mean, yeah. one of my favorite photographers, uh, Annie Leibovitz. Do, do you know Annie yeah. Leibovitz? She had her first kid naturally at 50. And then she really? had two more by surrogacies later in that decade. So wow. she's always been like such an inspiration. Like she built her entire career so that she can afford to have children by surrogacy, which wow. is kind of neat. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, but even that, I mean, I mean, kudos to her. But even that, yeah. like for me, the idea of being... 60 with like a teenager is kind of like I am already cranky and I don't like loud music. So at 60, well, I'm your, gonna... kids wanna, your kids want to have loud music if you don't like it. Cause if you grew up in a house and you, yeah, but I'd have to fight with them. And I don't know if I'd have the energy at 60. Like, so there's even that, like even like set the, the money aside, the biology aside, uh, just that idea of like, having a teenager at 60. Well, I guess the, like for me, the ideal is to make a lot of money and then have kids. So (laughs) at like 50, you can have your kids. And then by 60, um, you'll be rich enough to have different wings of the house for your loud teenagers. And then you, yeah. It really is a challenge for entrepreneurs. Like, um, so my sister, your your cousin, they run a small business and Natalie was in her mid thirties when she had her kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just partly because they were like, is this going to work? You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always thought, I looked up to Nat a lot because she did start having kids in her mid thirties. And it's, I think it's important to have those role models who are doing that. Like, cause sometimes you see so many people having kids in their twenties. And like, by the time you're 35, their kids are like 10 and you're like, well, I don't like, I feel so late doing that. But with Nat, I feel like she does have that entrepreneur life and she did start having kids in her mid thirties, which is inspiring, inspiring for me. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, she, I'm in my mid 30s now, and I don't have kids, but <laughs> it, it it's just, I just don't want them now. Like, I don't want to have a kid tomorrow. I don't want to have one in nine months, so I just I don't have them. It, it's it's very strange because, like, I part of me is like I need to focus on my career so that I can do the things I want to do, so that I have that mm-hmm. freedom. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, but if all my time is spent focusing on my career to do the things I want to do, I can't. If I get the career, I can't do the things I want to do. That might be kids. That might be travel. That might be a house with horses. Like, I don't care what it is for, for an individual. The process gets in the way of the goal, which is that mm-hmm. anti-designer thing to say, right? But <laughs> yeah. I, feel like, I feel like in life, as an entrepreneur, it's very easy 
for the process to get in the way of the goal. Yeah, I, I've also, I, I really value freedom as well. And I yeah. think that for me, kids don't mean freedom. Like for a lot of people, kids can equal freedom or like it, uh -huh. it doesn't stop your freedom. But for me, like, I don't want to be worried about a kid for the rest of my life right now. Like maybe in 10 years, I'll be okay with that. But like today, I don't want to, like, I feel like for me, kids, are the opposite of freedom because you're tied down to this kid for at least 20 years. And then after that, you just worry about them all the time. And you don't get any of the benefits, like at least for the next 10, 15 years, if you have kids, you get benefits of having them in your life every day. They bring you joy. But when they're like 30, they can just like fuck off and go to Vancouver and you see them once a year. And, you know, you give up your whole life to raise these kids and you don't even have those benefits that kids bring to you. Right. Like I, would daily joy someone, and happiness. I would need someone to explain to me why having kids equals freedom. I, I don't understand that. I don't I don't either maybe like financial freedom in the future because they'll take care of you when you're old but <laughs> I don't know if I want to go through 20 years of yeah not another freedom. another scary thing about entrepreneurship is that that future you know yeah. in my case I'm lucky because um Lena my girlfriend she does have full-time work so you know we can lean into that a little like in our old age but yeah. um people who are joint entrepreneurs that's not so simple yeah, that's, in, uh, yeah, my partner also has the, um, I think it's the same, like the more stable job, mm -hmm. but I can't, I, like I see some friends who have like husband, wife photography companies and it's scary, especially during the pandemic, like, cause they both have two, like you shouldn't have put all your eggs in one basket and they're both working for the same company, which is their own company that has gone, has not had much work during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I think it's really good to diversify your household income. <laughs> Yeah, your per personal income as well. Like I think that probably you as well as an entrepreneur has multiple streams of income, which is, which has proven to be really important in the past year. Absolutely. Like I do know a design couple, and they run a small studio, but they do photography, they do printing, they do graphic design, they do social media. So it's like they can always shift gears to where the money is if they need to. Yeah, that's that's beneficial to shift to have that multidisciplinary. Um, business yeah and you know we're kind of we're kind of being a little self-serving here but at least i feel we may be because i teach i teach web design to graphic designers and you teach photography to graphic designers and for yeah. some people enrolled in that program they may feel as though these are like secondary secondary disciplines that aren't core but you're going to be happy you have those secondary disciplines yeah, I remember writing you a few years ago when I first started teaching because I had I was taking over a class from another teacher who was teaching photography to graphic designers and the graphic designers did not see the value in learning photography. And so I emailed you and asked you as a graphic designer if you can share why you think it's valuable. And I still share that letter that you sent me today. Oh, wow. My graphic designers. I remember that. Do you want to tell us why? I'll, I'll segue. Well, why don't you tell them how you went from a graphic designer at the law firm to, um, I think, creative director? Everywhere I've been, I've been able to grow my role because I could do more than one thing. So I, I usually get hired as a graphic designer, but then like maybe I make a brochure for a restaurant and they say, yeah, we're going to call in a photographer to get the photo for this brochure or for this ad. And then it's like, no, no, I'll do it. And then you just put that in your invoice. Working nine to five at the law firm, sometimes that got pretty routine. My manager said, oh, you know, photography, can you do the bio photos? So like it just got me out of my desk right yeah because they're just for like an id badge the stakes aren't super high but i took hundreds of id badge photos um, and they went on the web page so you get good at it when you do that many so i learned a bit about that and then it was like okay well now we need one to go in the globe and mail can you take a nice enough photo for the globe and mail i think i can and now you've been published in the globe and mail so like just because i had this one little thing um and i embraced it rather than thought it yeah, I think that's, I think I see a lot of students who are very adamant on one direction they want to go in and they're not opening their blinders to like the other opportunities they, they have. And I think that that really sets apart like entrepreneurs that are moving up quickly is just being open to different um, areas. Just say yes, attitude. Yeah, just say yes. Like I started shooting jewelry photography six years ago. It was not something I wanted to do at all, but I met this person at a networking event and I just did it. And then now I have that in my portfolio and I'm shooting more e-commerce now as well. So. Oh, and, um, and that's kind of a natural segue. Like I'm just thinking weddings, diamonds, 
did, did that like branch <laughs> off? It wasn't diamonds at all. It was just like, it was like uh, kind of Tiffany style um, round bracelets and necklaces and stuff. It was a neat idea. They, they were able to have a heart rate monitor that puts your heart rate onto the necklace. So it was kind of a cool thing. But I did a lot of research and a lot of trial and error with that. And because of that, now at my job where I go in every week and shoot clothing and secondhand products, yeah. my, um, my jewelry photography is awesome. Oh, did, okay. So the first time I did a catalog shoot, I went to Curry's, which is the art store here, and I bought three things of huge foam core for 10 bucks each. And I just mm -hmm. built a foam core box and I lit it. I think I lit it with a lamp. And it actually looked, once I got the color, the white balance, it looked really good. Like a light box? Yes. Um, but I'm wondering, like, what, what, how did you, what setup did you use to get started in product photography? I had some lights I had bought on Amazon like 12 years ago, and they were really testy. Like every time the cord moves, the light went off. And those were the oh. ones I used as well as a light box from Amazon, which I think was like under 50 bucks. Yeah. And just like some stuff you made, like the dollar store is amazing for product photographers. There's yeah, so much stuff there, like spray paint too. Yeah, it's never been easier to, to, grow, to grow as a photographer, I, I think. Another way I started was to put like an ad on Craigslist or like Kijiji. And I don't think anyone's going to be doing that now. Like, I think that it's really important to note that so many um, people in the industry and business are like they started. It's not possible to start your career the same way they did 15, 20 years ago. And these are the people giving advice to new students and photographers and graphic designers. Yeah. So my advice would be to find someone who's been in the industry less than five years to ask them for advice. I mean, ask your teachers as well, because we're aware of this and we have advice to give, but mm -hmm. asking us how we started isn't always beneficial to them. Mm -hmm. And you're more, I think you're more current than you're giving yourself credit for. Uh, Carolyn, you've really given us a lot to think about um, how to get started in the industry, what it looked like doing that in the past and what it looks like now. And you've just shared so much like professional and hands-on knowledge. I really think it's going to be helpful for everyone. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Eric. It was so nice to catch up and I, I hope it was helpful. Oh, I totally will be. Catch you later. All right. Have a good day. Bye.